0: to a
1: separate love you said bracket this idea bracket this idea don't forget bracket this idea bracket this idea don't forget it all bracket this idea bracket this idea bracket this idea don't forget write it down you know what don't forget don't forget don't forget over don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget.
0: don't forget don't forget don't forget don't forget bracket this idea don't forget write it down don't, you know what don't forget 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 write it down don't Person, Don't Write it down. Don't, you know Don't forget. Just a huge shift in consciousness. Poetry night rings through. Oldest oh, of eight kids. Wow. Ooh. I used to just walk in and hit people, you know, because I'm the oldest student. You hit them, even though they're bigger. Mm-hmm. It's like putting a rope on an elephant. Little elephant, and so after they get big, you just put a string around it. Yeah. You don't have to do the rope anymore. Okay, um, he's a contemporary of Jack McCarthy. Those names you know. Uh, oh, another name, Buddy Wakefield. Okay, individual poetry slam champion, international poetry slam champion, national poetry individual grand champion, San a. Poetry Slam Grand Champion, San Francisco Poetry Slam Champion, loves women, <laughs> yeah, yeah. loves free food, free food. <laughs> and running makes him sad, oh. <laughs> Mike McGee. <clears throat> <clears throat> Of a yes! <laughs> uh, okay, so I'm gonna do something a little different. I'm gonna start off with a little tune that goes with this piece. This is called "A Story of Us," um, and um, it's a love story, but it's it's a true story, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I wrote this for um, someone I was once in love with. This is Sigouros, and it's beautiful. And I kind of wrote it to this. Sort of. A story of us, the unflinchingly and scientifically accurate account of how we actually met one billion years ago. Several billion years ago or more, you began as an inert microscopic particle floating deep in space. Were any creatures aware of your existence, they might have named you something wonderful, but they didn't because, as we now know, eyes require a complexity too large to see the tiny spark of shine you had. Eyes didn't exist yet in that part of the universe. So you had no purpose to be seen. After a long hibernation that included the universe forming before and around you, a very large nearby sun died—one septillion octillions of times larger than you. Expelling all of its energy, pushing you, spinning you away, along with newer, smaller particles that spun around you. You, now a wayward atom with a purpose you didn't ask for. Because as we now know, the act of asking requires lips and teeth and things. Shot from deep space, nearer the center of the universe, after an extremely long, quiet, and relatively unencumbered flight, you landed on the Earth's new basking for the next very long heaven, Sitting there for some time, perpetually energized by the strong rays of the Earth's further sun, a new sun, warming the even newer planet, terraforming itself thanks to your distance. You waited for nothing and no one. Your particles radiated longer than any particles have any right to do. You waited and the moon took its time, inching closer to an Earth, growing bluer and bluer as millennia slipped by. And you waited. I came into being as a gas particle from Earth to Sun. That angry star banished sextillions of us for no reason because as we now know, reason requires brains and love and shoulders. It is possible, but unlikely, that I sensed your tiny spark and shine on my 93 billion mile flight. This would explain the slightest turn in my trajectory. I landed next to you and we sat on that lunar surface for so much time that we might have become inseparable. Our bond was inexplicable because, as we now know, explanation requires a need to understand, and understanding is sometimes a physical thing that just is. Just when we were settled, a large ball of fiery power blasted closely past us in our quiet home. Its tail as long as one hundred of our moons. Its anger dragged us with it, and we flew right for the blue ball in front of us. Just before we collided with it, the fiery ball was consumed by molecules we'd never met before, bigger than us, but friendly. They called themselves wind and welcomed us as they ate the fire up. They told us to settle below in the coolness of what they called water. We landed in the big water and floated for some time. We enjoyed it when the wind would carry the water up high and then splash it down on us. We were once before we left the moon. And we enjoyed this more interesting place together. Millions of went by and the weather changed billions of times. The oxygen took care of us and the water helped us navigate. Creatures got smaller and we honored them by adhering to other parts of them Come And shine. Thanks, guys. Uh, thank you, Sigaros, for, for your beautiful tunes. Uh, hello, and welcome to the Mike McGee half hour of your evening. Uh, I um, I have a, a tendency to go a little longer than I should. Uh, so I promise I'm, I'm keeping track of that. Um, I'm not thin. But if I were, I'd be the thinnest man besides the NBA. I'd wake up each morning with a smile on my face while seeing songs in the shower by Skinny Puppy and Thin Lizzy as I laddered up into an emaciated frenzy. I'd be thinner than thin. I'd wear a skinny tie to work and drink the caffeinated coffee with skim milk. I would be a thin bastard. <laughs> no! I would be the thinnest bastard, looking for other thin bastards to give a bony handshake to. And me and my thinness would travel the world around spreading joy and celery. And I would call up Tom Cruise just to say, you've put on some weight. The world would love me if I were thin. They'd want to be thin right along with me, and I'd teach them all how to be thin with my thin handbook. And we would do thin things and eat thin things while going to thin places. And when one of us saw something we liked, we'd get the skinny on it. (laughs) But I'm not thin. I've been hit on by more overweight people than I have thin people. Maybe they know something I don't. But for now, I don't need to be thin, and I'm cool with anyone who is. I'm also not gay. But if I were... I'd be the gayest man this the side of San Francisco. I'd wake up each morning with a smile on my face while singing show tunes in the shower as I laddered up into a homosexual frenzy. I'd be gayer than gay. I'd wear a rainbow tie to work and drink coffee with my pinky abs. It would be a gay pinky. (laughs) No! It would be the gayest pinky looking for other gay pinkies to give handjobs to. (laughs) And me and my gayness would travel the world around spreading joy and condoms. And I would call up Tom Cruise just to say, come out and play. (laughs) No one would love me if I were gay, and they'd want to be gay right along with me, and I'd teach them all how to be gay with my gay handbook, and we would do gay things and eat gay things while going to gay places. And when one of us saw something we liked, we'd say, That is so gay. And <laughs> I'm not gay. I've been hit on by more gay men than I had straight women. Maybe they know something I don't. But for now, I don't need to be gay, and I'm cool with anyone who is. I am, however, Mike McGee. And because of this, I'm the best Mike McGee I know. I wake up most mornings with drool on my face and I sing my own songs in the shower as I lather up into a Mike McGee frenzy. I'm mike than Mike. I don't wear a tie to work and I love coffee, but fuck latte, fuck espresso, fuck Starbucks, fuck you, fuck me, which friends well with Mike McGee. And me and my Mike McGee and they should travel around the world spreading joy and leftovers. <laughs> if there are any. And I should call up Tom Cruise just to say, holy shit, you answered. <laughs> Love Mike McGee, and no one wants to be Mike McGee with me. But it can teach you all how to be me with my Mike McGee handbook, and we would do Mike things and eat Mike things while we we're at my house. And when one of us saw something we liked, we'd say, "I like that." <laughs> I, mean, I am Mike McGee, and I've never been hit on by Mike McGee. Maybe I know something I don't. But for now, I don't need to be anybody else because I'm pretty fucking cool with Mike McGee. <laughs> So, this chapbook is not available. This actually belongs to my roommate, Rose. She let me borrow it so that I could read a poem, because I don't have a copy of my own chapbook. Um, I discontinued this one. It no longer exists. Um, What I do have here is the Bellingham edition of Sweet Nuggets. This chapbook is about to change dramatically, uh, and uh, today I pulled out a poem and put in that one I just did, the, the Story of Us one. This is limited to 20 copies. There's only 20 copies of this one. It's going to change dramatically. Come talk to me if you want one. Uh, we'll say, I don't know, just if five bucks, uh, three bucks, ten bucks, whatever you want to spend on this chat book will go to rent. I assure you. Um, so a little mini fundraiser for Mike McGee right here. Um, and, uh, so the Bellingham edition, and that's what it says, Bellingham edition, uh, uh numbered up to 20. All right, I love you. Thank you. So we love you too. Man, I'll tell you that granola bar that saved my ass. I like came in here with like the lowest blood sugar, just like I hate everything. And now I'm just like, now I'm like, hey. Oh, sugar you. is wonderful. Thank you, granola. e sugar. All right, sugar granola. That's better. That's better. One. I've heard a lot of poems to begin with the number one, then continue in a numbered sequence. I wonder if there's a name for poems such as these. Two. My intrigue has sent me to write at least one poem in this numbered sequence. Three. I feel I should find out more about this numbered structure. Four. I asked my friend Dave K. if he knows the name of this sort of sequenced poetry. Five. He does not. (laughs) Six, I send a text message to Victor Infante, a friend and most notable culprit of this style of poetry. He responds with, I don't know offhand, but I will research it when I get home. Seven, I assume he is driving. I worry about his ability to drive safely while sending me a text message and while being so unaware of things in life. (laughs) Eight, I miss his phone call 20 minutes later. I call him back without listening to his voicemail. He explains that there is some contention in the literary world as to the true name of the style of poetry, but I'll agree that the sections between numbers are cantos. Nine. This is a canto. <laughs> Ten. So is this. <laughs> Eleven. Ezra Pound is notable for writing a long love poem consisting of 120 cantos. Twelve. That's a lot of fucking cantos. <laughs> Thirteen. Uh, this style of poetry often feels like an easy way to tie together a bunch of unrelated topics. Fourteen, I am not as interested in the style of poetry anymore. I would rather my poetry had a consistent theme. It would be too easy to veer away from the initial concept of the poem, to maintain the original content, yet allow it to grow beyond the first verse, You know, to express myself while seeking resolve, solution, and or catharsis. 15. It saddens me when pet owners put sweaters and hats on their pets. <laughs> 16. I still cannot breakdance. 17. I should never write one of these poems again since I don't know how to end it. 18. Weird cursing for no reason is hilarious, but not a good way to end a poem, especially when it ends awkwardly and abruptly. 19. Shit lips and short boners. <laughs> Uh, I am a night person. I don't know who here is a night person, but I'm a night person. Oh, no way! You're kidding me. I'm just not in
1: the bars.
0: You're just not in the bars. <laughs> She's like, I'm at the park when everyone's gone. I oh, call to, call. to my <laughs> Um, uh, <laughs> I've been known to be in the bars. Um all right. Not bars. Not bars. <laughs> uh, too good. Way too good. Uh, yeah, but this is uh this is a poem for anyone who's worked overnight. <clears throat> uh, great I've been told that in 1500s England they buried people prematurely due to a comatose state caused by drinking alcohol from lead and pewter cups. To eradicate these awful mistakes and to prevent many wrongful deaths, they hired men to sit in the cemeteries with lanterns and shovels to listen for ringing bells. These bells were tied to twine and run underground at the risk of the deceased. If the person awoke inside their coffin and scrambled for escape, their bell would sound six feet above, and the diggers would start digging. Hence, those buried alive were saved by the bell, and the diggers' work became known as the first graveyard shift. the only people at that time willing to work in the dark and sleep during the day. so. I'm at my new graveyard job at the mall. I stock toys for the kiddies. I work in the dark like Quasimodo because they would never hire me for a daylight position. I guess I just don't appeal to their regular shoppers. And I definitely don't appeal to the kind of people that stop by our store for spending a few grand at Nordstrom. Come see the big hairy guy. Come one, come all, on, come down to the mall, see for yourself the big giant elf. I cannot dance for a dollar. And I will not give up my dreams for a job. I work in the dark to enjoy the sun. I plan my life during my 10-minute breaks while the nocturnal animals play in the empty parking garage amongst littered shopping bags, receipts, and price tags. As the world sleeps, dreaming of designer clothes, bottled water, and a Beverly Hills lifestyle, I debate with myself whether or not I have time to suck down one more cigarette. If you can see the blue in this collar, then you know I've learned quite well just how to differentiate between the daywalkers and those that roam the night. I prefer the light of the moon over your basic fluorescent office fish. The kind of light that assumes a distrust between you and your boss. The kind of light that peeks into and around every corner. Those lights the stores use and shut off when the graveyard shift punches in. They know that something's gonna be missing in the morning, so what's the fucking point? Graveyard shift is creative, taking what is never rightfully theirs, but obviously no one else is either. There's something so missing when the day crew takes over in the morning that the customers can smell it under the hot lights of omniscience. It is the creativity born with nightwalkers. It is how much the day hates the night. You'll never see a pigeon hanging out with an owl. And you'll never see Beverly Hills hand me her phone number as she leaves the mall with her bags of, Hey, look at me. While I enter the mall in an air of, Hey, look at me. We're all the same Beverly. Only you look really hot in your outfit. The way it exposes your midriff, your flat, flat stomach. I just wish you could say to me, Hey, McGee, you look good in that dictionary. The way it exposes your ideals and manipulations, your faults and your ambitions, but we seem to take two different escalators to get to the same place in life. I'm kind of like banished royalty and you're upper class white trash. Day and night, we'll never make love. We can only tease each other in a floor play they call twilight. The only things I regret at three in the morning is I solve the world's problems. <laughs> that I chain smoke outside the mall. That I have no bell for me. The rainbows never come out of Thank you. <laughs> So, uh, I was, uh, I was hanging out at this bar one night and, uh, just sort of minding my own business, being lonely, where? At a bar. Really? Oh. Yeah. You go there? <coughs> I go. I go to the bars. Yeah. Uh, so I'm hanging out one night, and I'm just sort of—it's an empty bar. There's no one in there. Uh, just me and the bartender, and uh, not even having—I'm not even talking to the bartender. Just sitting there, writing on napkins, bullshit feelings, you know, and uh, letting it all out, and uh, just being really lonely and really uh, like feeling that loneliness, you know. And this woman comes in. And uh, she sits right next to me, right next to me, the loneliest guy in the world. She sits right next to me. She starts chatting me up. I'm like, oh, my God. Why are you bothering me? You know, like, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, can't you see I'm lonely here? <laughs> I've got shit to do. And uh, So after a few minutes, she realizes I'm not having it, and she gets up to leave, and I, I snap out of my... Assholeness, uh, ness and, and I go, wait, 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 where are you going, where are you going? She's like, well, I might as well go home and feed my cat. I'm like, your, your cat's fine. It'll survive a night without you. She says, no, you can't be alone overnight. I tell her I feel the exact same way all the time, and I actually have something to offer the world. She says her cat is special. Sounds like, thank you. Uh, sounds like, uh, sounds like he says Reno when he meows. <laughs> Reno? I imagine a cat saying Reno. <laughs> Reno. Reno. Reno, no better. All the time? Every time he meows, it sounds like Reno? No, only every once in a while, like, when he's really craving attention and needs to be brushed. Ah! <laughs> oh! I say, Ah! I tell you, when I'm craving attention, I remove my shirt, exposing my Catherine Hepburn-shaped birthmark, and I make her talk. Hello, everybody. Got <laughs> any more tequila? <laughs> Look, lady, but now you must realize I am human, and I have needs, and I can love you. Actually, love you. I'm not jumping the gun here. Uh, I know we just met, but I am capable of real human love. I'm not this programmed feline. You're the keeper of the food, so I guess we'll stick around. Bullshit. Does your cat have the ability to make an entire room laugh without having anything to do with its own failure? (laughs) Can your cat use a QWERTY keyboard? Huh? (laughs) Can your cat code even a modicum of HTML? Huh? Does your cat know how to Photoshop images of
1: you to look like you have that handlebar mustache? (laughs) I don't think so! I can do half of those
0: things <laughs> while I have soup cooking on the stove. See these stoves? Do you? Do you? Because these mean I win.
1: <laughs> You're right,
0: she said coyly. We boned right there at Taco Bell. Nine months later, we had eight kittens.
1: They
0: run my website.
1: now. <laughs>
0: Uh, two more problems, you guys? If you guys are out uh, of two more? Two more problems? Let's do that. Let's do two more. Um. Tumor? T- tumor. I just a fuma. <laughs> <laughs> Good <You> one, Andrew. <laughs> uh, <laughs> This is uh, this is a love poem I wrote to someone uh, I did not know. It's it's a a strange situation where I knew this woman for eight years, and then all of a sudden, boom! One day I woke up and I was like, "You're the love of my life," and uh, and she's like, "I'm not into you, Bill Clinton." Uh, So (laughs) uh, I learned from that point on never to profess my love in uh, impersonation. a bad idea. Uh, (laughs) uh, Jello pudding pop, right? Uh, (laughs) Uh, <laughs> makes it awkward. Makes it really awkward. Uh, but, but it, it, in all seriousness, I had, uh, I had wanted to write a poem, uh, I wanted to profess my love in a way that was just different and, uh, so I thought, well, why don't I get advice from someone, uh, who did something extraordinary and was, stayed in love all the way through it. You know? So. Dear Neil Armstrong. I write this to you as she sleeps down the hall. I need it. Answers that I think only you might have. When you were a boy, and space was simple science fiction, when flying was merely a daydream between periods of history and physics, when gifts of moon dust to the one you loved only be wrapped in your imagination before the world knew your name or before it was a destination, what was the moon like from your backyard? Your arm, strong, warm, wrapped across her shoulders, both of you gazing up from your back porch summers before your distant journey upon landing on the moon, as the earth rose over the sea of tranquility, did you look for her? I mean, what was it like to see our planet, you know, that everything you could be, all you could ever love and long for was just floating before you? Did you, by any chance, happen to write her name in the dirt when the cameras weren't looking or surround both of your initials with a heart for alien life to study a million years from now? What is it like to love someone so distant? What words did you use to bring the moon back to her? And what did you promise in the moon's ear about the grow back hole? Can you teach me how to fall from the sky? I ask you this not because I doubt your feet. I just want to know what it's like to go somewhere no man had ever been just to find out she wasn't there. To you realize your moonwalk could never compare to the steps that led to her. I now know that the flight home means more. And every July I think of you, I imagine the summer of 1969, how lonely she must have felt while you were gone. You never went back to the moon, and I believe that's because it doesn't take rockets to get you where you belong. I see that in this woman down the hall, and sometimes she seems so much further, but I'm ready for whatever steps I must take to get to it. I've seen so many scots, and the moon always looks the same. So i got to say, Neil, that rock you landed on has got nothing on the rock she's landed on. You walked around, took samples, and left, but she's built a fire, cleaned up the place, and I hope she decides to stay, because on this rock, we can both breathe. Mr. Armstrong, I don't have much. Many times have I been upside down trodden, but with these empty hands comes a heart that is full more often than the moon. She's becoming my world, pulling me into orbit, and I now know I may never find life outside of hers, so I want to give her everything that I don't have yet. So yes, for her, I would go to the moon and back, but not without her. I mean, why? When we could claim the moon for each other with flags made from sheets down the hall, and I'd risk it all, to kiss her under the light of earth, the brightness of home, but I can do all of that more right here, wherever she is. And when we gaze up with her arms around me, I will not promise her gifts of moon dust or flights of fancy. Instead, I will gladly give her all the earth she wants, in return for all the earth she is. The sound of her heartbeat, laughter, and all the time it takes to learn to fall from the sky, down the hall, and ride into love. And, I would do it every day if I can just land next to her. Five, four, three, two, one small step for a man, but she's one giant leap for my time. Thank you. Uh, a <laughs> couple of things, guys. Uh, a uh, couple of things. Um, I, uh, so I do a show uh, with Erica Reed um, and called Kitchen Session. It's a lot of fun. Uh, some of you might be wondering when the next one is. The last one was on my birthday. The next one is actually like a bit away because at the end of February. We're doing February 23rd. So mark your calendars. February 23rd would be the next Kitchen Session. Uh, there's going to be a, a couple of special guests for that one. Uh, which would be neat, would be awesome. So, uh, yeah. And uh, what was the other thing? Um, Yeah, afterward, uh, oh, every copy of this book comes with a hug. Um, And an invisible burrito. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what that even means. But anyhow. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Right? That's the only way. Um, So, guys, um, this last poem I want to do for you. Oh, also, if you're like, Man, where can I find more of your stuff, Mike McGee? MikeMcGee.net. Boom, and I also live downtown, so you could just probably go to my house. Um, seriously, though, it's going to get to a point. I think it's no, don't look in the bars. You look above what used to be Stella. That's that's my bedroom window, actually. So um, yeah, so now you all know where I where I live. No, just when you walk by, just go me! <laughs> right. Yeah. You should. you should like chuck a penny up there or something and be like, you know, if you see a light on. I'm I'm in I'm probably in my room. So Rose, is that okay? Is that gonna bother you? I think she left. Oh, did she? She's like, oh, hit this bullshit again. Yeah, <laughs> she didn't actually say that. So this this last piece is called is a is it's called lullaby, uh, and I I, I kind of wrote it for you guys. Uh, but I actually wrote it for your next generation, your offspring. Um uh, This is all love. Can we dim the lights?
1: Uhm, that was fun. I mean, is that even possible? Don't worry about
0: it. Sleep, babe. While you're doing just that, we'll be pretending to work on a world where you'll have no worries. Every generation before us promises something they couldn't achieve, something that wasn't theirs to offer. They gave us their word and they told us this world would get better. They promised it would get better, so the only logical promise I can make right now is that it won't. I mean, at least, not yet. So change is something that takes time, lots and lots of time. For every hundred years of war, it takes another hundred to heal. For every day of hate and indifference, we shall require one more day of love, maybe even two or three. For every moment of suffering we shall offer up an hour of surrender. This will not be easy. We will be handing you a difficult task, a hardened journey, and billions of souls just as lost as we were. Maybe you won't be, but you've got to champion all the colors of the world in all of its forms. Cheer to the color of your neighbor the same way you'd marvel at the blue sky. Hold on to their skin as you would a cherished memory. Skin is like time, and we should wear it well every single one of us. And see what you can do about coming together. I know that sounds silly, but I assure you it is not. We're, we're so near a stage that seemed impossible a hundred years ago. Imagine what your great-great-grandparents would think of your world. Imagine what they feel. Look inside yourself and try not to be afraid of love, loss, and life. Do not fear what is different. Difference and danger are two very separate things. Replace fear with celebration. Tell fear to go away, because this world will teach you to fear all the very wrong things. The fewer people you hurt, the better you can feel. Try your best and your hardest to move minds and mountains. You have a lot of work ahead of you. I know this. I'm trying my best and my hardest with everything and thought and driving love I have and know. I'm not alone. In so many, so many other people who want what we all want. It's a peace that is so simple, so thorough and light, it cannot be stopped. If everyone tries a little hard, and I don't want to believe it is too late for us, but it isn't too late for you. While these hopeful words push
1: through unpredictable ages. I challenge you to push yourselves. This must be a lasting. Challenge to remind everyone that while it might seem so far away, there is a last peace. So sleep, little ones. Sleep, you working babies, you loving souls, you fantastic creatures, stressing over taxes and death. Sleep now and sink yourself away.